We all have a particular idea or image of who God is and what he's like. For some of us, he's distant. For some of us, he's a sovereign Lord who directs our lives in every detail as he wills. For some of us, he's a judge. For some of us, he's an angry punisher. For some of us, he's a friend who is present through the good and bad of our lives. To some of us, he speaks and guides. For some of us, he heals, restores, forgives. Even if you don't believe he exists, that also is an idea or an image of who God is and what he's like. And as we have started a few weeks ago and continue in our study of the Gospel of John, what we'd like to do in this, in this study is grab a hold of the fact that we can know what God is like by looking at Jesus. And if what I just said was recognizable to you, it's because it's exactly what I said three weeks ago when we started. I'm going to repeat the two quotes that we did three weeks ago because it's been a while. The first is from Brian Zond. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known but God, what God is like, but now we do. And then from N.T. Wright, If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama that has him as the central character. Why, why is it important, I think, that we, that we try to understand this concept that, that God is like Jesus? It's because many of us, I think, have images of God that do not match with the image presented by Jesus. And when our image, our thoughts about God, what we've been taught about him, does not match who Jesus is, Number one, we're wrong. (laughs) But most importantly, we miss a lot. And we go off on tracks that we maybe shouldn't be on. And we miss the tracks that we should be on, the tracks that lead to fruitfulness and to purpose and to meaning. And when we understand who God is by looking at Jesus, that helps us, as N.T. Wright says, become part of the drama that has Jesus as the central character. Today we're going to look at a couple passages from John chapter 1. And I am well aware that John chapter 1 is like the best and deepest theology ever written in the whole history of the world. And there have been a gazillion books and sermons and lectures and studies 
and, and PhDs and masters and bachelors and all kinds of theses written on this chapter, these first 18 verses. There's no way I can cover it all. Obviously, you know that. I'm not even going to try. So if you miss something, that's perfectly understandable. I only have so much time and so much gray stuff uh, here. But I'd like to just uh, really pick two passages from this from this uh, chapter. The first one is um, the first four verses, which is appearing on your wall even as we speak. Certainly feel free to look it up in your own Bible. This is John, the Apostle. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Christopher, you'll just keep it on this verse for a second. Thanks. This is the the very start of this Gospel of John, this deep theological statement about the word that was with God and the word that was God. One of the commentaries that I'm using that's kind of a mainstay for this study is a commentary by an Australian theologian by the name of Leon Morris. He lived from 1914 to 2006, so a little bit of a contemporary, not quite, but a little bit. This commentary was published in 1971, which is 50-some years ago. And I've done this a couple times. Literally, if you Google best commentaries on the Gospel of John, this one is always in the top five. It's about 850 pages. I'm not reading all of them, but uh, including footnotes. But it's, 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 so far, I've really found it good. So if you'd like to read something that will challenge you a little bit, this would be at least one, one to get. I'm using others. If you'd like to know what they are, don't hesitate to ask me. But what I'd like to do right now is just focus on this idea that, that the word in these first few verses of John, which ends up obviously, as you know, to be Jesus, is identified so very closely with God. And, and Leon Morris has some really good quotes on that that I'm just going to go through now. So now we can move on, Christopher. Thank you. The word, says Morris, points to the truth that it is of the very nature of God to reveal himself. Okay, so God, God speaks, he reveals. God is not to be thought of as aloof and indifferent. He's not somewhere up there distant from us. He reveals himself, and John thinks of the word as coming to earth in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. In this man that lived for a certain number of years in a certain time and in a certain place and looked a certain way and had a certain DNA structure. And Morris goes on. If that is a staggering affirmation to us, I'm sorry, I, I, start, I skipped a quote. I skipped this one. Not only did the word exist in the beginning, but he existed in the closest possible connection with the Father. All that may be said about God may be fitly said about the word. This statement should not be watered down. John is not merely saying there is something divine about Jesus. He's affirming that he is God. You see what Morris is saying here. 
It's not that Jesus is, is, is a moral guy or who lived in close relationship with God or, or as, as he was living, the Spirit of God came upon him and gave him some kind of strength and, and gifts and let him live and teach in a way that none of the rest of us can do. He's saying Jesus existed in the closest possible connection with the Father. All that may be said about God may be fitly said about the word. This statement should not be watered down. God, John is not merely saying there is something divine about Jesus. He is affirming that he is God. And then Morris goes on. If that is a staggering affirmation to us, There is no reason for thinking that it was any less so to the Jewish author of this gospel. Remember, we always try to place the scriptures in their context, and this is a Jewish context. John is Jewish, and he's writing coming from the Jewish world. To the Jews of that day, monotheism was more than a belief commonly held. It was a conviction to be clung to and defended with a fierce tenacity. You may have heard of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the Jew of the time of Jesus would die for that statement. This was central to the belief of every Jew that God was one. The Jews knew with an unshakable certainty that there was, there could be only one God. When John says the word was God, this must be understood in the light of Jewish monotheism. Even though this writer regarded monotheism as the central tenet in his religion, yet he could not withhold from the word the designation God. When he thinks of the word, he lays it down unequivocally, that nothing less than God will do for our understanding of the word. Well, all of this is to emphasize that John starts this gospel by saying in the clearest possible way, in a way that goes against all the catechism that he was taught as as a boy and young man, that this Jesus, this word, is like God, or has God's spirit, or teaches us about God, but he actually is God. The two are actually one. That's a whole complex way of saying what we're trying to say when we say God is like Jesus. Maybe like isn't even the best word. When we look at Jesus, we are literally looking at God. That's what John is trying to lay out for us. So when we look at Jesus, and when we see God in Jesus, what do we learn? And now we're going to skip down to verses 14 to 18 of this same chapter. There's some stuff in between here about about John the Baptist. I just don't have time for that this morning. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God. The only God who was at the Father's side, he has made him known. So now John says, this word, this God, first of all, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have this idea that the flesh, the physical, the material, the world, is somehow evil, not good, tainted. We place it as over against the spiritual and we give more value to the spiritual. We've been taught that. That really is, is rooted, rooted in, in ancient Greek philosophy. It's been appropriated by the church, particularly the church in the West. We've been taught to believe that things that are physical and material are just not quite as valuable or holy as the physical. There's a lot of confusion about this, and it's too complex for me to dive into right now. But I just want to emphasize that the Apostle John is as clear as can be that God himself, in Jesus, became flesh. That means that this flesh, your flesh, our flesh, and the flesh of everyone is, is extremely valuable to God. And extremely good, echoing Genesis 1. This is good, God said. That God took it on. He became, not only, he was completely divine, but he also became completely human. And not just flesh in the sense of the body, but flesh in the sense of all of creation. Remember that John says in the beginning, through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made. Nothing was made that has been made. So when we take this first look at this word, that this, this God, that this word, we see him taking on, taking on flesh. And our negativity about flesh is so deeply ingrained in us that most of us don't even know we have it. But we do. So I encourage you to think about that as we move through this series. Jesus taking on our flesh because it's that valuable and that loved and that good to him. Then John says, we have seen his glory John says that we, the disciples, beheld Jesus and his glory. They saw it with their physical eyes. They saw that in him, in his body, in his humanity, and in who he was. And then Morris puts a little interesting twist on it. Should quote from him should come up. John is speaking of that glory that was seen in the literal, physical Jesus of Nazareth. As he came in lowliness, we have an example of the paradox that John uses so forcefully later in the gospel. And here it comes. That the true glory is to be seen, not in outward splendor, 
but in the lowliness with which the Son of God lived for men and suffered for them. When you think of glory, you think of the glory that we saw a couple weeks ago with um, the uh, funeral service of Queen Elizabeth. The glory of those those buildings and of the crowns and of the coat of the robes and of the of of all the pomp and circumstance that went with that. And Morris says, no, that's not the glory that John was thinking about. And this is a twist. John was thinking about the glory that comes when Jesus empties himself and takes on flesh and takes on the, the, the role of a servant and serves unto death. The glory of suffering, the glory of service, the glory of giving oneself for the other. The glory of giving yourself for your child. The glory of serving your partner. The glory of serving your parents. The glory of serving your grandparents. The glory of serving your grandchildren. The glory of serving your colleague at work. The glory of serving your customer. The glory of serving the marginalized wherever you find them. Some of you know that the last couple of weeks have been characterized by health issues for my parents, particularly my father. Me and Cindy and others in our family, including my mother, have had to serve him. We've had to care for him. We've had to lift him up, help him dress, help him walk, help him make it through things, hold him up when he couldn't hold himself up. Do things for him that he's been doing all his life for himself, but now can't do. He's much better now. I mean, how do you keep doing that? How do you keep serving? What gives you the inner strength to keep doing that and not throw up your hands and walk away and say, I'm done, I can't do it? It's this following of Jesus. who as God himself took on flesh and took on the glory of service. So as you're serving this week, whoever it is, a child, a parent, a customer, a partner, could you put it in the context of this glory? This is what glory is. Even if no other single person ever sees it, Diana Butler Bass puts it this way. That it is precisely when we recognize our common humanity, when we recognize our own humanity in the face of the other, it is then that we also recognize the face of God. See here this connection between humanity and God. As you're serving, as you're doing that thing that no one else will ever see or notice that you've done, 
right there, you're meeting the face of God. And when you meet the face of God, you're meeting glory. That's what Jesus was. And then it says, the word became flesh and became full of grace and truth. That word grace is just repeated several times. And we know that the word truth is repeated throughout the Gospel of John a couple of dozen times. I don't remember the exact number. Grace. This God that came down, the God that some of us are so afraid of, or the God that for some of us is so distant, comes and appears to us in Jesus, full of grace and truth. And I spent some time doing this. You Google quotes about grace and quotes about truth. And there are all kinds of wonderful things that people have said throughout the centuries about grace and truth. But I decided not to show you any of those quotes. Because those quotes are words. And what I'd like to focus on as we go through John, so I'm not going to say much about it anymore. What I'd like to focus on is not words about, is not the quote of some smart man or woman about grace or truth. To look at Jesus himself. As we go through this Gospel of John, what do we see in Jesus that is grace? How can we define grace? Not by some words, by what Jesus did and how he was. And the same with truth. We want to look for how Jesus was. How did he show glory, grace, truth, and light? In what he said, of course, but in what he did, how he related to people, how he lived, and maybe even how he died. Rachel Held Evans sums it up this way. We could not become like God, so God became like us. God showed us. He didn't just tell us. Note that. He showed us how to heal instead of kill. How to mend instead of destroy. How to love instead of hate. How to live instead of long for more. When we nailed God to a tree, he forgave. And when we buried God in the ground, he got up. And that's what we want to look at as we go through this Gospel of John. In the verses that I didn't read from chapter 1, John is very clear that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. John is very clear that even though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. John is very clear that Jesus came to his own. And one translation of that says Jesus came home. He came to his own people, the Jewish people. But his own did not receive him. 
It is possible to miss Jesus. It is possible to not understand him, or I would say not want to understand him. It is possible to not recognize him. It is possible to not receive him. It is possible to be the best Christian of the world and to have this image of God up there and miss Jesus. It's also possible to deny God and Jesus altogether and everywhere in between. All of that is possible. And we probably all do it. But I would like to challenge you today, but as we go through this Gospel of John, to work not to miss him. To work to, quote, receive him, whatever that means. To work to recognize him. And don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that as a threat. Do this or else. Because that's not the spirit of Jesus. I mean it as an invitation. To let his life, his light, his glory, his grace, his truth into your life. Right as you are today, October 9, 2022, with the Phillies going to play the Atlanta Braves and the Eagles going to play the Cardinals and whatever else is happening. Not just some vague spiritual concept. Not just something out there. But here in your flesh. In those hands that are serving your client, your partner, your parent, your child. Into this body. Into this spirit. Into this life. Into these circumstances. And into these people. Because I think to sum up what John is saying this morning is... That's exactly where Jesus came. That's where he is. And that's where you find him. If you will. But just look. Amen.